Hello, Patriots. Welcome back to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today, we'll talk about how anti-Trump Republicans will only succeed in alienating voters. We have lies from the CEO of Pfizer, and we have a Trump's running meltdown piece from the left. Next, on Living with Liberty. the difference between Democrats and Republicans when it comes to their candidates running for office. Democrats won't try to outright damage their candidates by publicly stating, we can win with anyone else except them. Now, let's be clear, Democrats want nothing to do with Joe Biden running again in 2024. I think Biden's been very coy about his actual plans outside of saying his intention is is to run. I think that's just to prevent a lame duck status as president. Essentially, with the GOP taking over the House now, his presidency probably is in lame duck status at this point. So it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if Biden comes out and says sometime in the next two years that he's going to pass the torch on to somebody else and not seek a second term. But Given that, given the fact that Democrats don't want Biden to run, that Biden says he's going to run, but you you get the sense that he might not, you don't see prominent Democrats coming right out saying, in 2024, we can win with anybody except Joe Biden. I mean, to to each, uh, to a man there in a Democrat party, they are sticking to their guns. Now they've hinted at the fact that they don't want Biden to run. I mean, look at how they've answered the questions. You look at their body language in interviews when uh, this past campaign season, in particular, when some of these uh, Democrats running for House, Senate, whatever, have were asked if they would support another Biden nomination or a Biden run for presidency. And they hemmed and hawed. They didn't come right out and say, no, he's a total disaster. They dodged around it, but you could see it in their body language. They don't want the guy to run. They know he damages their hopes and of retaining their office, et cetera, especially if they have a tight district or a swing district. So body language, yeah, body language and kind of verbal cues are, uh, are a good indicator of where Democrats stand, but they have not come right out and said, no, I don't want Joe Biden to run for president. They haven't come right out and said, no, I don't want Joe Biden to campaign. Not by and large. There have been a few, I think, that have said, yeah, Joe, just stay home. Don't come campaign with me, you know, during this last midterm cycle. So the Democrats circle the wagons. They're not saying outright, uh, we don't want Joe Biden Because they know if they said that outright, the people that vote for Joe Biden, supposedly a moderate, so he's he's there to get the moderate Democrat vote, you'd risk alienating them. You risk alienating those voters by having, especially these radical leftist Democrats, come out and say, yeah, we don't want Joe Biden anymore. Now, this all brings us to the message challenged Republicans. 
The ever more disappointing and perpetually butthurt Paul Ryan has come out and said anybody but Trump can win the presidency against Zombie Joe or whoever the Dems try to trot out in 2024. Now, mind you, Paul Ryan and the rest of the Rhino Brigade will be calling for unity and trying to rally support for candidates in 2024 after primaries. So the unity calls will come. They always do. And you know what, though? I, I look at it this way. You got, you got Paul Ryan. You've got other prominent Republicans. We've got one here at the state level uh, in our, our Assembly Speaker, Robin Voss, that has said, uh, no, no Trump, time to move on from Trump. Um, these are your typical uh, perpetual permanent swamp Republicans. They, they, they are, and they're the first ones that then will call for unity. They, they will try and, and they're, they're, they're trying to disparage a whole, a whole segment of the voter base here. Now, here's one thing. As disgusting as the Democrat mindset is, can be their policies, etc., their commitment to unity... And staying on message is an admirable quality. Yes, I mean we can learn from them. Everything in our in our uh, in our surroundings and in our life here is a learning opportunity. And this commitment to unity, this commitment to not outright disparaging somebody within your own party on your own team, and staying on message like the Democrats do, as disgusting as they can be with some of their policies and their rhetoric is an admirable quality, one that the Republicans would do well to learn from. They haven't figured this out yet. They consistently get their ass handed to them in, in the messaging game. Even when the message coming from the Democrats isn't on the Democrats' side, the Republicans still seemingly get their ass handed to them by the messaging game. Now, the clowns on the you know, Republican side of things here are already taking shots at Trump. And the thing is, we don't even know who else is running for the GOP yet for, for president. Trump's been the first one out of the gate to announce. So we've already got, uh, uh, you know, the swamp taking their shots at Trump. We don't know. We could end up with a bunch of other McCain's and Romney's out there. And honestly, you know what? Most hardworking Americans uh, that that are conservative are done holding their nose, voting for McCain's and Romney's. They will probably just stay home. And that's what these idiots in the Republican Party don't get. They don't understand this movement that Trump has started. It's not it's not about Trump. Yes, yeah, some people want to make it about Trump and that Trump's the only one that can lead it. No, the grassroots of this thing has taken hold now. And whether Trump's a nominee or not, fine. We have other candidates that are ready to take up that mantle, that have been taking up that mantle, like your Carrie Lakes, your Ron DeSantis's, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. You have others who are rising up now to take the lead in this America first movement. And swamp Republicans are just as bad as Democrats, and they don't understand what this is about, that it is more than just Donald Trump. They think by attacking Trump, they'll keep him out of office and, and stop making the Republican Party look bad, or whatever they think. I don't know what they think. They're, 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 I think they're very insecure in their own mindset, in their own uh, kind of abilities, and that's why they've got to disparage Donald Trump because he's actually someone that, that took charge and led 
where we've seen a lot of Republicans that have just sat back, sat on their hands and done nothing but cater to the Democrats. They don't like that. Um, So they got to try and take him out. And they're trying to take him out early without even knowing who else is going to run on the GOP side. It's ridiculous. I mean, right out of the gate here, we have the Trump haters in the Republican Party alienating potential voters that they will later seek to hit with a message of unity, that they will later seek to support their preferred candidate, I call it their preferred candidate. Let's say Trump doesn't win the uh, win the uh, the primary in 2024. Let's say it's someone in the mold of Romney or McCain. These are going to be the same ones that have gone and alienated people with their Trump hate right out of the gate that are then going to go back to these voters and say, hey, let's all circle the wagons. We got to get behind, you know, McCain Jr. here and win this thing and win the presidency. It'll be the same people. Watch. The same people that are are now sowing division in the party will be the same ones later calling for unity. Mark it down. I look at it like this. Either Trump is part of the Republican Party or he isn't. And considering that he is seeking the GOP nomination for president, I would say he's part of the party. And if Republicans are going to beg us for unity, it's probably smart that they don't publicly disparage candidates. Let them do that to each other during the primary. You have candidates beating up on each other during the primary. Fine. It, it, you know how much impact that has down the road? Probably not much. I think people understand that's the politics of the thing uh, and, and how those primaries run. But you don't need people at the top, the leadership, coming out and getting involved in kind of meddling and and trying to steer the narrative and and disparage a candidate right out of the gate. Now, the other thing with with disappointing Paul Ryan here is he also seems to be solely blaming Trump for the GOP's underperformance in the midterms. He had this to say about it. I think Trump's kind of a drag on our ticket. I think Donald Trump gives us problems politically. We lost the House the Senate, and the White House in two years when Trump was on the ballot or in office. Okay, a few things here. One, up until this year, and even this year, even, even the 2022 midterms, this, this, is, uh, th- this fits with the trend, right? The, the power, party in power, especially in the White House, typically loses seats or loses the House and or Senate during the midterms. That's just how it is. Uh, voters are fickle, right? And if they see that you, especially like we we had the Democrats with the uh, uh, the trifecta at the federal level, people were fed up. They said, okay, this isn't working for us. We got to change something up. And, and that happens. That's every midterm. So one, to, to blame this on Trump is very disingenuous on Paul Ryan's part. Like I said, this guy was my rep for years. I liked him. He's really turned into a disappointment. I, I, I can't believe that the total 180 this guy has done. I really felt like he fought for, you know, America first, but he's more and more proving himself to be part of the permanent swamp problem we have within the Republican Party and within government. So to to say that uh, something that that followed trend when Trump was in the White House with the House uh, flipping while Trump was in the White House to say that we we lost that uh, because of Trump is is just just a disingenuous thing to say, period. Now, here's the other thing. If Trump was such a drag on the ticket, 
then why did my senator, Ron Johnson, who, oh, by the way, was endorsed by Trump, win re-election in a swing state here in Wisconsin where we had our Democrat governor and Democrat attorney general re-elected. So Trump was such a major drag on the ticket that Ron Johnson didn't, you know, won re-election. That's how big of a, and won re-election with Trump's endorsement. That's how big of a, tra- a drag on the ticket Trump is, that we had a senator in a purple, very swingy state win re-election. And by a percentage point, which is honestly the way some of our last elections have gone, is is actually a pretty good margin around here in in the in the state. So doesn't seem like a drag to me. And then you look broader, look at your state, look at some of the other states out there. Why then, if Trump was such a drag on the ticket, if his endorsement was such uh, so toxic, why did many other Trump endorsed candidates win? Now, you can bring it up, uh, Mastriano in Pennsylvania and, and Oz in, in Pennsylvania, and I've co- covered Oz already. I, I already covered that. Uh, Mastriano was probably a bad candidate because Oz outperformed him. And we already talked about what that boiled down to, and I don't think that was a, a, a drag. Uh, a, Oz didn't get uh, dragged down by Trump's endorsement at all. So to say that, again... Just making stuff up, making up excuses to cover for the party's shortfalls. And what the biggest problem is, is the messaging. And they don't seem to want to uh, want to acknowledge that. They'd rather blame Trump for it. So now we've got not only the Democrats that continue to blame Trump to this day, two years into the Biden debacle, and now we've got Republicans blaming Trump for their uh, their messaging problems as a whole and, and why they didn't perform as well in the midterms as was anticipated and expected. I mean, I look at it, Trump is not that big of a drag on any ticket to me. Uh, you look at the look at the numbers. It, are there some areas where Trump's endorsement may have had effect on a close race to the negative? To be fair, it would be, uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, we have to say yes in that. I'm sure it did because... Uh, you get some of the more moderate swing districts, and yeah, Trump's divisive, and I'm sure he's turned some of those people off, especially in those close races that could have been run. So yeah, in certain cases, that that could certainly could have been the case. But here's the thing. This is what the Republicans need to look at then, is they need to get together and look at what is the voter makeup of those districts and say, look, the Trump endorsement isn't going to help you here. Yes, the message uh, of America first and putting Americans first and and uh, doing right by the people is a winning message. That populist message is a winning message. But if you have someone like Trump who's pretty divisive in a swing district where it's very moderate and Trump doesn't come off as moderate, it might be best to just say, hey, strategically, we're going to run the message, but Let's not have the Trump endorsement here. It might not play as well. You would think with all the polling these jokers do, they'd have some data on that and be able to to get down uh, kind of to that level and, and message things in that way. But again, they, they the Republicans don't message well. They I don't know what they're doing. They I don't know if they're looking at this data or what they're doing. But, uh, you know, obviously they didn't do that. They lost some of these swing districts. So, um. I think that's that's where they got to look at this stuff. 
right? That's where you you start tuning in that message to say, okay, Trump's big here. Let's uh, let's get the endorsement there. That's going to be good. Not only is the message great, but then to have Trump backing the the um, uh, the candidate, our candidate there, that's going to be a big win, right? Because there are districts where there may be less moderate. They might still be kind of toss up districts, but they're uh, you, you know the people are looking for something more populist, looking for that America first thing, and are actually big fans of Trump, right? So that that plays. That'll play well there. And you got, like I said, other districts that are going to be more moderate that don't like the divisiveness that you have to look at and message differently there. I mean, with all this data and everything, you'd think they'd be you know, better at this, the Republicans. They're not. You know, but, you know, I look at the whole thing. It's by and large to uh, try and intimate that Trump was the sole reason for the Republicans' mixed results is just disingenuous. And it ignores the bigger problems the GOP has in terms of messaging and marketing. It just does. And I, I know they probably don't like, you know, me, the, the, the peasant here under their, their throne to be telling them this because they get upset when you start bringing this stuff up to them face to face and you start asking the tough questions. They squirm and shirk away. Like, uh, you know, your, your typical Democrat does when you ask them a tough question. These people don't like to be challenged on either side, right? So they don't want to hear this from a peasant like me who, who hasn't spent a lifetime in politics, who hasn't spent any time in office, who hasn't, you know, been part of the ruling class elite in some form or fashion, whether it be through massive donations or whatever else. They don't want to hear it from us, but they're going to hear it from us. And they need to hear it from us. And if they're not going to change, they need to be thrown out of office then. They need to not even make it through a primary. Now, maybe Paul Ryan and the other rhinos should look at the voter base before they go disparaging Trump. Now, Trump, like him or not, is pulling new voters into the Republican Party. He is swinging the uh, the voting mindset of uh, of demographics that Democrats thought they had locked up in perpetuity and, and you know, believe that they have the sole right to that vote. Groups like the uh, black community, the, the Latino community, even the Asian community, right? Trump's pulling those voters in with this message because they see what's going on, particularly those Hispanics that have fled from countries like Cuba and Venezuela. They see what, they, they're coming from this, uh, they're coming from the, the socialist countries. They see that we're on that path and they say, no way. I came from that. I left that for a reason because it's garbage. So Trump, like him or not, he's pulling in these new voters. He's pulling in these new groups of people. He's building this alliance. And you know what? He's been much more effective at it than the old rich white guys currently running the GOP ever could dream of being. Trump has been more effective at reaching these voters than, you know, these suits, these empty suits in the GOP. Trump is also pulling people in who only vote because Trump is on the ballot. So here's an idea from, you know, this political peasant here. You know, it might be a good idea to, oh, I don't know, not go alienating these voters by saying anyone not named Trump will win. And instead, maybe work on messaging that will get these voters to also check boxes down the ballot. You got voters that just vote for Trump and that's it. They check off the, the presidential 
ticket and that's it. And you have all these other down ballot races. You know, maybe it's better instead of, of saying Trump isn't going to win. We got to pick somebody else. Maybe work on the messaging that, that will get these voters that come out and only check the box for Trump to come out, vote down the ballot and to actually just vote whether Trump's on the ballot or not to, to just vote period. Cause these voters will stay home. If they're just, I'm, I'm just going to vote for Trump. Trump ain't on the ballot. Well, I'm just going to stay home. You can take that to the bank that that's what's going to happen. It's guaranteed. So, so work on the messaging to get these folks engaged to, and to stay engaged. That's what the Republican party should be doing. That's what people like Paul Ryan and, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and whoever else is Ronna McDaniel, whoever else is leading the GOP, that is what they should be working on. Not worrying about whether Trump's on the ballot or not and whether Trump can win an election or not. The people will make sure that uh, we will get the candidate that we will turn out and vote for. That's not up to them. So these butthurt establishment types you know, instead of doing that, they would rather cling to their own little fiefdoms instead of doing what's good for the people, the party, and, and their country, honestly. And if if it keeps up, this rhetoric keeps up from Paul Ryan, and you get more rumblings from the likes of Mitch McTurtle here about candidate quality, and we're not going to win, and blah, 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 you can expect that 2024 is going to look a lot like 2020. If you're listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit that uh, Rumble or Thumbs Up button. The more interactions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms, and the more we are able to spread the truth. All right, moving on to a story that for sure will be tagged with a COVID banner when I post it. And it might get this episode wiped off a screw tube again, uh, you know, citing facts and everything. Uh, it appears that the lying Pfizer executives are at it again. I have an Epic Times piece here titled Pfizer CEO claims COVID vaccine will be free for all Americans. Critics push back by Jack Phillips. Now, apparently, Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, claims their COVID dart will be free for all Americans because insurance companies and other groups will pay the cost. All right, how did this jabroni get to be a CEO of one of the largest pharma companies in the world? This has to be the dumbest thing I've heard from any CEO ever. Where does the money come from for the insurance companies? Where do insurance companies get their money? Where do other groups, whatever they are, I don't know, you just said other groups. So where are these groups? Where are they getting their money? From Americans, from the people. You pay insurance premiums, hence you are in part paying for your care when you go to the doctor or decide that you want the poison dart. Not only that, the government apparently bought their jabs at a discount because Pfizer said when their government contract runs out in early 2023, basically whenever they de uh, the government depletes what they've purchased from Pfizer, and the jab then strictly goes to available on the open market only, not uh, under government control or whatever they're doing with it now these days, uh, Pfizer is going to up the price to $130 from the $30 they sold the experimental doses to the government for. So they're going to up the price by about 100 bucks. 
So what does this mean now? Well, let's break it down for Albert Barla, apparently a CEO of a major company, doesn't understand how this works. So what this means is either your insurance premiums will go up to cover the cost of the poison dart, or there will be a copay for it. That, that's what this means if you're going to jack something up like that. There, there's going to be some sort of uh, cost increase somewhere along the line, along the chain of getting that thing in your arm. The last point of the story here is one more idiotic point of this story. Uh, this last, the last point here of this story uh, just shows uh, just the idiocy and overt out-of-touchness of these pharma executives. So Pfizer executive Angela Lucan said this about the price increase. We are confident that the U.S. price point of the COVID-19 vaccine reflects its overall cost effectiveness and ensures the price will not be a barrier for access for patients. So we're in the midst of a 40-year high, if not record inflation. People's money is buying less and less. They are having to decide whether to put food on the table or gas in their vehicles. And this dope has the balls to say that the price will not be a barrier for access to patients if we raise it up to $130. Are you freaking kidding me? How out of touch can you be? If I have insurance, maybe it's covered. If I don't and I'm feeling lab radish that day, then that $130 comes out of my pocket and very possibly I'm skipping a few meals to cover it. Reality obviously isn't something these people are living in. Subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered, so if you could, please do me a favor. Whatever platform you are listening or viewing on, please hit the subscribe button. It will give you an alert whenever a new Living with Liberty is published, and the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, finishing up for today. The left just can't help themselves with their white supremacy narrative. They, they just love it. They can't, they, they can't stop themselves. It, it's like it's the only track that their their brain is on. I mean, and they've got a one track uh, mind here and it runs in a perpetual circle of white supremacy, it seems. And now, now that we've got Trump ha having announced his candidacy, uh, candidacy for president, I'm sure it will only intensify again. Not that it's gone away much, but I, I'm thinking you know, it's we're going to get hit and over the head with it even more in the coming couple of years here now. So once again, because of this, I was, you know, I, I do this for you. I dove into the slimy underworld that is politico.com, so you don't have to do this. And I pulled out this racist gem from Aaron Aubrey Kaplan titled, Donald Trump is still, still in parentheses, president of white America. <laughs> right off the bat. Holy crap. Sounds pretty racist, right? Now, I'll be pulling more quotes from this piece than I typically do, but I think it's with a purpose, and it's, I think it's important also because it shows us what these leftists think of everyday Americans. And, and that's even, it's even the ones that are brainwashed and following this, this narrative around like sheep, following a sheepdog. I don't know if, a sheep, if they follow a sheepdog or if the sheepdog chases sheep, whatever. I'm not a sheep farmer, someone tell me, but... Even them, even those people. And the funny thing is, is they don't get it. They don't get just because they say the right things. They don't understand that this rhetoric 
it's also lumping them into this group because we know that the left doesn't distinguish groups. They don't distinguish bad apples from good apples. If there's one bad apple in a bunch, the whole bunch is rotten. That's how they view us. So now, one can only hope that, you know, the more this ridiculous crap comes out and is published and whatever, one can only hope that the left, more of them on the left anyway, wake up and realize that they too are being part of the group that is being vilified, that they are also, you know, once they're done, once these these lunatics are done with uh, the ones that uh, um, people like us, I guess, conservatives who at this point are just like, eh, I don't care, that they will come after, they will come after those that have bought into the ideology at some point or still do. And they'll be looking for perfection from them. And that's not a standard anybody can hold. So those folks that are uh, bought into the ideology will also then come under this this uh, attack, this vilification of being white supremacists, et cetera. So I don't, I, I don't know what it takes to get these people to wake up. Hopefully they do, but it, it's not, honestly, when they do this crap, they're not just talking about white conservatives. It, it's all white people. And the only difference is, is white conservatives say, we're not apologizing for anything. We're not racist. Everybody's equal etc. things we've covered on this show many times. And, you know, those on the left, they'll keep apologizing. And that's what gives these people their power to keep spouting this nonsense. So it's a, it'll be a, a, you know, honestly, a perpetual, a perpetual um, narrative, I think, going into 2024, unfortunately. So let's, let's dive into this piece anyway. I babbled enough here. So of course, on this uh, right out of the gate of this piece, Kaplan is reaching for the Kleenex. She wrote this. For the past six years, I've been grappling with the same unsettling mix of feelings. Horror at Donald Trump's presidency, incredulousness at what happened at the Capitol, relief when the most damning evidence of Trumpian misdeeds came to light. (laughs) All right, whatever. We'll cover that in a minute. And... uh, and a near-religious hope that the GOP might return to something resembling sanity. But this week, as I watched Trump announce his candidacy for 2024, that optimism was eclipsed by a more persistent, nagging realization. Trump was never president. I don't mean literally he did serve a term, though he violated so many oaths and protocols of the office. Cover that in a minute, too. And she goes on, and of simple simple decency that many Americans, including me, took to saying that he was not president as a kind of protest. All right, like I said, I I can't get through some of this stuff without laughing, but we've got a lot to peel off here first. It seems another keyboard mouse were shorted out from a massive amount of ugly crying over Trump. I wonder how my keyboards Kaplan went through here uh, as she kind of wrote this piece up. Anyway, second... What were we told when Obama was president that, well, what was it? It wasn't okay to say that Obama wasn't my president, right? We heard that, oh, well, yeah, suck it up. He's your president when people would say Obama's not my president. He's not my president. Suck it up. He's president. That's what they told us, right? But we look at it here. Now, because this is coming from the correct perspective, correct perspective, 
it was fine. It's fine. It's fine for these butthurt hurt lunatics to say Trump is not my president in protest. It's fine for them to say that. Eh, hypocrisy at its finest. You know, this isn't even the meat of this whole thing, though. This isn't, you know, we looked at that, that whole statement. Um, what misdeeds came to light? What, tell me what Trump has been convicted of yet. I'm waiting. What misdeeds has Trump been in front of a, a court? What misdeeds has Trump had charges brought up? Not the fake, uh, not the fake uh, uh, impeachment charges. Not the fake Russia hoax that has been debunked thousands of times over. What Trump misdeeds came to light? January 6th, what, what, has, uh, what have they brought that said Trump causes. You know what I've seen? I've seen tons of evidence that the FBI was embedded in that thing, that our government was, um, I dare say, colluding against the people. So what Trump misdeeds are there? So uh, there's that. There's this too. Uh, What oaths of office did Trump break? I'm waiting. I can rattle off several that Biden has already broken and Obama before Trump. I, I can rattle off several Oaths of office, those two clowns have broken. Now, of course, Kaplan makes no note of these broken oaths, nor does she link to any sources outlining what oaths of office Trump broke. So obviously, it's just a statement to pander to the drooling mouth breather that's reading this crap. That's all that is. Trump violated simple decency. That's another great one here from from, uh, Aaron. Uh, really, Trump broke or violated simple decency, really. It's okay for the press to not have the simple decency to treat the office of the president with respect, but then it expects to be treated like royalty. Trump was under attack the moment he came down the escalator. He's been labeled a racist, continues to this day, a homophobe, a misogynist, and whatever other name that the left wants to come up with. He was hit with a Russia hoax. Sorry, respect is a two-way street, Aaron Kaplan. And the press decided that honest, tough questions were going to be thrown out the window in favor of activist lies. So what norms did, did Trump break here? What decency uh, norms did Trump break here that uh, he wasn't already getting from the press? That he wasn't already getting from the swamp? Normal decency, that that was thrown out the window. I mean, what do you expect someone to do? You take a shot at them, they don't take a shot back? They don't defend themselves in the face of lies? Come on. Uh, Grab another keyboard and Kleenex. Uh, You got to show respect to get respect here. That's how this works, Aaron Kaplan. Now, the next line from this piece is a real doozy. Kaplan wrote this. Then it hit me. Trump was and continues to be the chief executive, not of a nation or of the Republican Party or even of a cult, but of a culture, namely a culture of white supremacy. Wow, Aaron's hamster wheel must have really been smoking trying to come up with this must-have line of insight. The thing is, these clowns can't even point to one instance of white supremacy in this country, not one. You ask them, they squirm, and they try and point back to slavery and Jim Crow laws and 
pre-civil rights times in this country, which we have to acknowledge, right? That's our history. We acknowledge it. We learn from it. We move on. We've gotten better. So what culture of white supremacy is here? Again, no, uh, no link to any, any sort of, uh, of data, of facts, of, uh, of, uh, of an instance of white supremacy here. And, uh, you know, the whole systemic white supremacy that they want to they want to throw out there too. Where is it? Uh, last I saw, we didn't have separate bubblers. We didn't have separate uh, counters for people to eat at based on their race. We didn't have people that were told to get to the back of the bus. White supremacy hasn't been a thing in this country for years, decades. So what culture of white supremacy exactly is Trump supposedly cultivating here, making a culture? I don't, I don't understand. And of course, there's no facts to back it up. It's just let's throw out some buzzwords because I'm too stupid to actually articulate a, por- a, a, a position intelligently on Kaplan's part here. So you look at them, you try and you nail them down with this stuff. You ask these questions and, and they squirm. They try and get out of it. They point back to history and act like we haven't learned from that history, or they just try and change the subject all together. So uh, we've got uh, another, I mean, this is another tearjerker here from Kaplan. She wrote this. Like a Category 5 hurricane, this culture of white supremacy has gained strength by converging with other offshoot culture wars from the last 40 years, from the anti-abortion operation to science denial to the total gun rights movement. Some of the people who are involved with these movements may not think they are serving white supremacy, but by advocating for policies that disadvantage and endanger people like me, that is precisely what they're doing. So how exactly do any of these policies disadvantage Kaplan? That's what I want to know. That's my question here. And if she were in front of me, she would not, guaranteed, she would not be able to articulate how these policies disadvantage her. So... I looked up at Erin Kaplan. She lives in L.A., Los Angeles. The way crime is there these days and the fact that they release violent felons there faster than Nancy Pelosi can down a martini, you'd think she'd be all in for things like the Second Amendment so she could def- uh, defend herself. She'd, she should be all in for the Second Amendment not being infringed. So she's not disadvantaged when she comes face to face with a violent criminal who ignores the gun laws that are out there in California. So, so tell me, how, is, how are gun rights disadvantageous? I mean, honestly, in L.A., we're not far off in L.A. from sending in Snake Plissken to start extracting people. That, that's how L.A. is, right? We're about ready to call Snake Plissken in here. How about the science denial? It's the science denial. Who's denying the science? Who's the biggest science denier? People ignoring basic biology and thinking that girls can be boys and boys can be girls. Throw the nonsense of, the, uh, of gender as a social construct out the window. That's not how this works. You can't say that and then say, I'm for science. It doesn't work. You, can, you can't say, I'm a furry, I'm a cat, and you're a human being. That's not how this works. Gender and whatever all this other crap is, it's not a social construct. So who's the biggest science denier? People ignoring that basic biology or the ones who cite study after study about the failure of all the actions taken to try and combat COVID. 
So who's the science denier there? Then to prove that she doubles as a circus clown, Kaplan cites this study published in the Journal of Democracy. Boy, that I'm sure I didn't look that one up, but I'm sure if you go and you know go look it up, it's probably actually more like the Journal of Tyranny. But anyway, so she cites this. Kaplan cites this study published in the Journal of Democracy. It's titled "The Rise of Political Violence in the United States," and guess who it's by? None other than our friend Rachel Kleinfeld, who we shredded in the last show. Kaplan writes this about that uh, Kleinfeld dumpster fire here. She says this, Rachel Kleinfeld finds that white supremacy and the propensity for political violence is coming overwhelmingly from the right. But most alarming is how truly mainstream it is. Do you see what they're doing here? So so we're, we're two years. I'm looking at my calendar here. We're two years from a presidential election, right? They're starting to, send, uh, to, to ramp this narrative up now about how uh, political violence is mainstreamed on the right now. It's only growing. We need to be afraid of the conservatives, of the right, blah, 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 blah. That's what they're doing here now. They're ramping this rhetoric up. And guess what it is? It's violent rhetoric. That's the whole thing about it. The way they go about and saying this, it's violent rhetoric from the left. Now, we spent last time, or uh, time in the last show, uh, giving numerous examples of how political violence is a Main Street Democrat leftist issue. We spent tons of time on that. I'm not going to rehash that all here. Go to about the 30 minute mark or so of episode 141 to get the full rundown of, of the examples we gave. And I'm sure you have your, other, your own. And there's many others. Uh, the point here that we're making is that the left are the purveyors of, of the political violence. It's the left. And the fact that Kaplan can't go anywhere but another hacktivist leftist to find information to support her claim of, uh, of political violence and white supremacy rising on the right and mainstreaming on the right is quite telling. you got to go to these far fringe sites and, and, and thinkers to, to find this stuff to put in an article to try and make a point that is a very, 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 very weak point. You're not even making a point because anybody with, uh, with any sense will go and look at that, do a quick click on the links you provided, see that it's such a slanted article and that everything you know, data-wise feeding that article is also very slanted and they're going to throw it on the garbage as they should. It, it's not, you're not making any point here other than pandering to the drooling mouth breathers. That, that's all this is. Now, Kaplan did also pull this from, from our friend Rachel Kay's piece here. She said uh, this, Kleinfeld says the violence-prone target white women like Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitman or Nan, uh, Whitmer or Nancy Pelosi, as much as people of color and the two expressions of violence seem to go hand in hand. Here's the deal. The Whitmer thing was debunked as the FBI embedding within a bunch of Trump haters to get them to plan to go after Adolf Whitmer and then try and bust them and show that, oh, it's, you know, it's Trumpers are going after Whitmer. And Pelosi, you know what? I'm sure she has gotten her share th uh, of, of threats over the years. The woman's been in government forever and been, you know, a leader in government, the Democrat Party forever. So I'm sure she gets her her share of threats, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are just as many, if not more, 
threats from the communist lunatics on the left that don't think she's gone far enough left as there are from fringe righties whom, oh, by the way, we totally disavow as conservatives and, and you know, people true to the, the Constitution and, and the values of this country. So don't, don't even put the, I don't know why you call it the right. We, we don't have anything to do with these people. I, we run, someone says they're on the right, we run so far away from them, faster than, uh, you know, Pelosi downing that martini. I, I don't get it. I don't know how you think, I don't know how you think that's even a, an argument that the right, the violence is coming from the right. It's not. We totally disavow that. We believe that political violence has no place in the political process. Unfortunately, the Democrats and the left don't think that way. We do on the right. And if you're a true conservative, someone that's true to the principles of this country, free and fair elections and all that, that is your mindset. Now I'll finish up with this. And it's probably the most true thing in the whole piece, actually. <laughs> you'll love it, I think. I think you'll love it. But it's a quote that Kaplan cites from a political analyst named Steve Phillips, who by all accounts appears to be a social justice warrior of his own. But, but here's the thing. No, he, he had this moment of truth. He, he had uh, a moment of truth. The quote goes like this, and this is from Steve Phillips. Democrats have no cultural competence, Phillips says. They suffer from implicit bias and ignorance. Oh, now old Stevie hit the nail on the head with that one. He's spot on with that one. So at least there's one social justice warrior out there who seems to actually have a handle on reality. Now, before I go, don't forget to tune in live to Rucksack Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and me. You can watch us live on Riverside FM, Rumble, YouTube, or Twitch. Uh, it's simulcast across all those platforms. We'd love to engage with you all in the chats. We get questions, we get comments, we bring them up on the show as we see them. It's a great time. We love interacting with you guys in that way. So tune in, 7 p.m. Central, Laughs and Liberty on Riverside, Rumble, YouTube, or Twitch. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. 